0: Okay, so we, we do have a special guest here with us today. We were not just um, free-range chickens on this project. We, we had a pretty special mentor helping us along the way. His name is Peter McDonough. He is the Director of the Climate... <laughs> He's waving. <laughs> He's the Director of the Climate Change Studies Program at the University of Montana. Yeah, and we just thought that it would be darn right wrong for him not to be included somewhere in this project also he would be missing out so <laughs> so Peter what was it like for you to watch us
1: develop this project and go through the process oh man how much time do you all have <laughs> Yeah, much
0: time
1: as yeah how's the last year of your life <laughs> honestly it's been fascinating and a joy to watch. Um, I've done a lot of these. I oversee a lot of capstone projects and mentor a lot of students through internships and group projects and this year has been an especially, especially special. Can I say that? Mm-hmm. It's been a special one with you all. Um, the metaphor that always comes to mind for these things and I think I, what I mentioned to you all on the first day um, a year ago is that I'm sort of the bumper to your bowling ball. Um, so I, <laughs> I just sort of exist like, on the side. And you interact with me sometimes. But our interactions are not necessarily the, the progress of your project. Like you all, that you're, the ball is moving. I'm just there to like, boop, pop you back into asking the right questions and make sure you're thinking about things that might have been missed. Um, but like all the sexy stuff, all the good stuff that like made this really meaningful for you all is all the stuff that happens outside of my, uh, view. And I just get to see it every week and then see the final product. And it's so cool. It's so cool to see this come together. Um, and what you put together this year is sort of like falls into that bucket of what I wish all environmental projects did to some degree which is to learn how to talk to people because that's hard to do like on two levels this was fascinating to see like to see you all operate so consistently so functionally as a group with such good communication and thought and to like dig into this issue which requires such thought and consistency and and awareness so a lot of pride a lot of- A lot of like sideline pride, like, yeah, they did a good job.
0: (laughs) How has it impacted you? And that's very broad.
1: Uh, I always had to go to bed earlier on Thursdays. So (laughs) thanks for that, because you all met at 8 a.m. every Friday morning. And for Sierra, 4 a.m. and then 3 (laughs) a.m. It's just ridiculous. It's an interesting question, how has it impacted me? I think any reminder of how to be empathetic is a good reminder. Like No matter how mature and old you are, and I'm neither by most <laughs> metrics, um, it's always a good reminder. And I got kind of a double whammy this year because of the class Abby's in biomimicry. We spent a good long time just like hammering in these concepts of, of basically emotional maturity. And to have you all research that in depth and then practice that in depth um, and then show me every week how it works uh, and then get to hear it on spotify uh, is it's always a good reminder it's like being a musician or a dancer or something like you always it's always worth going back and just learning again um, so i've i would I've definitely benefited i would say to the same degree that you all have um so you are all, unintentionally, following the natural paradigm, according to biomimicry, by doing this.
0: Overall, how does the project leave you feeling? What's
1: going on on the inside? What's, what are my feelings? What are you feeling? <laughs> so my feelings. Um, got a lot of feelings. I think I mentioned, you know, pride is a big one. I think any any time you teach and the people you are teaching or just mentoring or just bumper bowling um do something that's meaningful to them in the context of that class is like so rewarding and and fun to see. Uh, and the fact that you didn't really need my input most of the time, you just did it because you're all good people and you work well together it was really great. Uh, I definitely bragged about you all a lot and made everyone listen to your podcast. <laughs> um it made me excited for you all as well. Uh, you all mentioned sort of like, how does it feel, you know, at the end of four years or two and a half years, to to like be finishing college and moving on. And for you all, it's the end of an era. You know, you you can never really go back to college. Even if you go back to college, it will never be like this. Um, but for teachers, this happens every year, and every year we get the joy and excitement of seeing freshmen come in and the grief of losing all the seniors that we've come to love and that's just this annual cycle. <laughs> emotionally exhausting. It is emotionally exhausting. Like, I don't know to do if faculty look worn out during finals week, it's not just because of the grading. It's like, oh boy, gotta say goodbye <laughs> yeah. to all these people. Um, but it's also you kind of get used to that after a while. It st- stops becoming about you and what you're losing and more about you know everything that you all are gonna go off and see and do and be, and whether that's here in Missoula, whether that's uh, in Europe, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Turkey, um, you know whatever that is, it's it's exciting to know that you're gonna take what you did here, um, even subconsciously, and, and apply that somewhere. Let that be a part of you.
0: So Peter, you're not gonna get off the hook without a little bit more. <laughs> Um, so going into each interview, we had a list of common questions that we wanted to ask everyone. Um, in addition, Peter? Oh yeah, we are. Yeah. We're going to interview Peter. We're going to ask him some of our common questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be dumb. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Here we go. We're going to just launch in. Um, Can you tell us about a time that you were extremely aware of and or connected to your environment?
1: This is a hard one, and I ask it of students all the time, and I've never had to answer it, which is (laughs) another secret of teaching. We don't actually know what we're doing. (laughs) Um, When I was in the Peace Corps, um, I was in Tanzania, in the highlands of Tanzania, where it's very rainy. And there are um, a a type of army ant called safari ant, um, which are deadly. Like, they will take down chickens, they'll eat babies if they're left on the... Safari ant. But there are these, yeah, safari ants, and they move in these giant columns. They don't have hives, they just move always. And they will just overrun entire villages and eat whatever is there and then move on. And you can avoid them. Like if you can see them coming, you can get out of the way. Anyway, needless to say, if they get on you, it hurts, and it's dangerous. Like they can they can kill you. Um. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> if you see them coming, you can avoid them. But if they come at night, you're just stuck. So of course, one night, like in my first month at in the peace corps, like fresh off the boat, um. I woke up and they were absolutely covering me and my entire house and the floor and the ceiling and the walls. I didn't have a ceiling. The roof. And um, I spent the entire night stomping and spraying every single one of them and then had to sleep outside uh, because my house was filled with poison and ants. And I just kind of had this moment of like, Part of this was like when you're in the Peace Corps, you just have to keep telling yourself for the first six months, like, I'm in the Peace Corps. It's just going to be weird. Just going to have to do it. <laughs> but I was like sitting outside, like looking at the stars and knowing that I couldn't go back inside and knowing that the ants could just show up and, and eat me again. Um, it's like, oh, I'm just kind of a part of this. I'm, I'm just in the way of some other things. And that's terrible because I have to teach high school in two hours and i haven't slept yet but also like kind of cool in its own way just felt very (laughs) part of that ecosystem suddenly
0: (laughs) (laughs) your teaching schedule does not get away (laughs) no
1: they needed to learn vocab (laughs) wow but it's still like a favorite memory for some weird reason (laughs) did you end up getting bit at all oh yeah okay they do this thing. I don't know if this is actually them or if this was my like sleep-deprived brain, but they had crawled all the way up my body, which I couldn't tell, and they all bit down at the same time. Oh. What the? What? So, so I was just, like, just like, yeah. And you, like, wake up from sleep. like I, I could see them on me. I stood up, and I was like, okay, this is weird. I should get out of here. And then they all bit at once.
0: Weird.
1: And I was like, oh, boy. are they
0: poisonous or are they just bite?
1: They just bite. Okay. Yeah. That was fine. That was fine. That was I had a headache from all the fumes, but uh, that was good.
0: Well, okay. Yeah. I suppose we'll say we didn't ask you about your childhood and your growing up. Do you want to share it?
1: So there I was. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny. Uh, childhood. Um, very fortunate, like lower middle class suburban childhood all the way through. Grew up on the shore of Lake Michigan. For my first seven years, back when like living on the lake was what poorer people did, not what richer people did.' So, like we were just kind of like up against the bluff and spent all day, every day in the summer outside climbing the bluff, swimming in the lake. Um, then we moved to Detroit, and that there was no nature really around me. played a lot of hockey. Um, But, like, I think maybe the most informative thing was every year my family would go to Vermont, and my great-grandfather had bought this log house in Vermont back in the 50s, and we just had it in the family ever since. And so every generation has grown up going there every summer. And that was just a log house exposed to the elements on the side of a mountain in Vermont and spent every summer there, and that kind of informed not necessarily a love of nature, because mosquitoes. But it's just sort of like a an assumption that like this was what you were supposed to do as a human. Like you're supposed to be outside. You're supposed to explore and get scraped, and go on adventures. Um, and adulthood has challenged that assumption, as it does of most childhood assumptions. Yeah, that's. That's still a part of it, I would say.
0: Who were your role models?
1: Uh, My grandparents. I had a lot of role models. They are good good folks. Uh, But my grandparents, um, mostly for their sense of humor. And then probably my Nana, just because she's so spunky. And she just spent her life being completely unafraid of everything. Uh, her brother used to tie her to a tree and shoot BB guns at her.
0: <laughs> that
1: was her childhood. <laughs> so, Yeah, just someone who's like, they're unafraid of life, took a lot of joy in life, saw good and people were curious about people, um, and just had a good sense of humor about everything. Um,
0: when did you figure out what you wanted to do for
1: work? Um, I figured that out in the Peace Corps. I, I came out of college wanting to be an astronautical engineer. I had worked for NASA. I was going to go to grad school for mechanical engineering and design probes to go to Mars and stuff like that. And living in Tanzania and teaching um, and seeing, like, the direct impacts of environmental issues, not on a multi-generational scale, but on, like, a monthly to yearly scale. Um, was eye-opening, and I just completely changed tax. I was like, I'm not going to do physics anymore. I'm going straight for environment, climate, and energy stuff.
0: What were some of those environmental challenges?
1: Um, desertification, deforestation were the big ones in Tanzania, uh, mostly from the colonial times, like British and German colonialism, but also like the neocolonialism of you know, American and Western industry just removing natural resources as fast as they could from the continent. Um, but you could see like, climate was already showing up. Like Lakes were drying up, and deserts were creeping outwards as years got drier and drier. But it wasn't just like those impacts, because you can look at a map and see those, and you can see those in the States, but because I was living in a village of subsistence farmers... And like local government officials were trying desperately to do anything to stave off like the destruction of their rainforest and the destruction of the savanna, um, and having no resources to do it with. It's like you could see it like right in front of your eyes how hard this is for every everyone who isn't, you know, suburban American, which is what I was. I mean, this is this is a
0: big question, but how do those people help themselves who don't have the resources at their fingertips to solve problems in their own communities and what what are other people's roles in helping them do that do you have tidbits <laughs> <laughs> having been in the peace corps or how do you feel about um
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. see where you're going um To answer your first question, yes, they're incredibly resourceful, Um, and that inspired everything from my interest in energy to my teaching methods to like everything, like using like preferring minimal resources because you can do so much more. You become more creative when you have less to work with. Um, So yeah, they they did amazing things that like here in the states we would wait for a grant to do, um, or we would get bogged down in conversations about whose responsibility it was whereas for them they just like everyone show up next Sunday after church we're going to replant the rainforest and everyone shows up and people bring food and they bring their kids and you just do it uh, part of that's like because it's a collectivist society more than ours but also because um, they don't have any other options that's how they've always had to do it
0: um, I'm going to shift a little bit but how, I mean, so in a podcast about communication and having conversations how was it living and working in a completely different culture with its own language and how was communicating these really complex things?
1: Ooh. <laughs> That's a hard one. I don't think I did the way you all are discussing it um because it wasn't my role too um first of all for the first year i was basically a toddler you know i could barely speak the language i didn't know how to get fetch my own water and carry it on my head like there's there's so much that i was just trying to listen and watch as much as i could um and even when i did get to the point of fluency with swahili it was still like I'm not, the only thing I was an expert in was physics and math. And so I taught that in the classroom, but outside of the classroom, I did not offer opinions. Um, what I would do is sort of just offer my time and energy. And if there was something of value that people in the community wanted um, to come to me about, then I would give that time and energy. Um, so that turned into a lot of things like, uh, HIV workshops and sex ed and pig projects and permaculture and, you know, random stuff that I just like happened to know some things about and they wanted to talk about. But I, I never like tried to push them to have conversations about controversial issues. Also because that could be dangerous as, you know, the one white guy in a 50 mile radius
0: you saying that you didn't try to have these really controversial conversations. It's another language. You're the only white guy. But what about what, like, all of these, like, leaders, representatives of Mm -hmm. different countries coming together, like, okay, we're gonna talk at this climate change summit. But... I I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of power stripped from people when they aren't getting to speak their own language. Mm -hmm. And... Now most of the time it's like English. this is what these people have to come speak about so I don't know. I'm just thinking about approaching the challenge of climate change like collaboratively and everyone getting what they need out of it, I'm like how do we do that when we all speak different languages and we all communicate differently and
1: I think two things come to mind. the first is what Kara described with um like your relationship with Burke now and how you went into this, neither one of you knowing what, would, what was going on and how this was going to turn out. Um, and you both were able to like set aside your agenda and just talk. And now whenever you see each other, it's exciting. And, you know, for diplomats to be able to have that relationship with each other, I think is rare. Um, at least on that like purely human level, not, to, not like a power level um so i think that's that's got to be one component to it um the other is to work for the ones who have the greatest stake, and not come in and tell them how to do it um which takes setting aside a lot of power and decision making and pride and economic interests
0: sounds like a big old metaphor for a one-on-one conversation, <laughs> right? And, yeah, yeah. Like laying down your power and your pride. And do you think about your own biases? Are you conscious of them when they come up? Are you like ah? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> ah
1: yes. <laughs> yes and no. The. There's several problems that I face, challenges, let's say, opportunities. Uh, One, I like represent the epitome of privilege minus financial. Like I'm all the demographics that have traditionally done the best and been the most deferred to. Uh, On top of that, I'm in a teaching role at a university and so I'm again deferred to more than I should be. Um, so I don't think my biases have been called out as much as they probably needed to be, so I have to like seek out people who will like reflect that back to me or seek out resources that help me reflect on it so'm it's something I'm like getting better at over time, and I've started to notice it more and more and more um, but in the moment it's I don't usually it's usually like in retrospect that I do. Have you ever
0: had a challenging environmental conversation that might have been driven by these like underlying biases that you don't necessarily think
1: about? Yeah. One of my best friends is a uh, she works for Onyx Maps. Um and she would describe herself as an avid environmentalist. She's also an avid mountain biker and she's part of the community that's like constantly trying to build new mountain bike trails around especially the Bitterroot, but also around Missoula. And I, she and I like butt heads on that because I love that there's a mountain biking community, but a mountain bike trail, once you build it, you can't unbuild it. Like that land is disturbed for a very long time. And to me, it's a slippery slope. Like if you keep building more trails, it's never going to go back to what it was. Whereas hiking trails, like if you don't use them, it takes a month for it to go back to whatever it was. Or I don't know how long, but to ask people who've done trail crew, it doesn't take long for them to become pretty natural again. Um, yeah, those are actually really fun conversations because we definitely butt heads, but we're also really good friends. And so they get heated and we'll like, yell at each other over a beer. <laughs> um, but it's always it's always good.
0: Have you ever had one that was not good?
1: Yes, but it ended quickly because we like both recognized it was not going to end well. Yeah. It's usually like when I meet people's parents who are climate deniers. There's a lot of students in the climate change program whose parents are climate deniers. And so i will, like meet them or I'll meet friends who have parents. Who are, and their friends are like, oh, this is the director of climate change studies. And the parents give me some some line. <laughs> it's usually like, okay, good to see you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You've had really good, heated, intelligent, emotional, substantive conversations, like with this friend, this mountain biker, and then really short, not so good ones with these people that you don't know very well, like parents of a student or something, other than having an established relationship with a friend, like what, what makes the conversations either like possible or not? Like, why wouldn't you dive into that conversation
1: with? Yeah, this one I actually have thought of okay. for a long time. <laughs> uh, not to go back to the biomimicry thing, but um, curiosity. If they are, if they start a conversation and it is clear that they are incurious, I'm not going to bother. And that's true of like any sort of contentious issue, political, social, environmental. If their first response is to me teaching climate change is oh, that's bullshit, there's no constructive conversation we're going to have until they get to a point of wondering, like, oh, what do you teach about climate change? Why did you get into that? Um, what, what is it that maybe I don't know that you know, or vice versa? So, to me, like, if you, if you can go into a conversation with curiosity, no matter how much you know you disagree with that person, you can get something out of it. You can both get something out of it. Um, and hearing the, the conversations that you all had, I could tell you all were bringing such obvious curiosity, like through your tone, um, through the questions you'd prepared ahead of time, that I could hear your interviewees getting more curious over the course. You could hear that, that environment kind of opening up for them.
0: Okay, well... We wish we could be with you all for a lot longer, but life goes on. Capstone's end. It's been a real pleasure (laughs) to talk to all of our interviewees and to spend this time with you, our listeners. And although the podcast is ending, these conversations don't have to. So go out in the world. Be good people. Open minds. Yours first. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Okay, thanks. Goodbye. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye. <laughs> thank you.
1: Bye. <laughs> thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye and thank you.
0: Oh.
1: Thank you and goodbye.
0: <laughs>
1: bye. bye. Bye, everyone.